avrei già visto la stessa. Sì, perché? Avrei preferito l'avessi visto con me. <ride> non me lo fai Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. We're talking Warwick Davis, terrorizing people with rhyming for three movies, so join the please. <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers uh, also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for, as of uh, this episode you're listening to, uh, it has to have been over three years now. We have something like 70-plus awesome. Bonus episodes uh, waiting for you guys. Patreon.com slash Sleezoids podcast. Uh, definitely consider that if you haven't made the jump yet. And speaking of which, um, we had a lot of people make the jump uh, yeah. this week. Um, so we'll give them their shout outs here. We have Danny Schick, Travers C, Andrew H, uh, Chad Burns, uh, Ryan E. Torgerson, uh, just Brandon. All Welcome, right. Brandon. Uh, Jared Scott. Harsh Malarkey, <laughs> Eric <laughs> Hill, uh, Jennifer, Ben, uh, Vol. Oh, oh boy, I'm so sorry, friend. Um, <laughs> Vajtech Tulik, uh, and we're still going. Uh, uh, Ross McWilliams, Joseph, Seamus Turner, Glennon, Taylor, and last but not least, uh, Mitch Kirka. Awesome. So thanks Thank you, to guys. Uh, all of you folks for uh, supporting the show. Hope you guys are enjoying all those bonus episodes, yeah. uh, as well as our bonus transmission series, obviously, where we're still talking about uh, new release genre films, because believe it or not, they are still coming out sometimes. Uh, they're trying. Um, I'm very excited because soon, I, I, I believe, just after this episode comes out, we'll probably be talking about The Empty Man, finally. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, which, I which was decent. So I'm really good. I'm very excited to talk about that whenever we get around to it. Um, but that's uh, Patreon's the one plug. The other plug, uh, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, which I know that you are, I see the stats every week. I check them. I see you. I see you right now listening on Apple Podcasts. While you're listening to this, scroll to the bottom. Give us a good old rating and review down there at the bottom. Helps us climb the rank uh, at iTunes and find new listeners. Yes, please. Um, and the the new plug, the third plug, I guess it's not so new anymore. It's been the plug for a couple months now. Uh, we've got merch now. Uh, if you guys are interested in uh, getting the Sleezoids poster art uh, by uh, horror artist Trevor Henderson, uh, friend and guest of the show, uh, you can now get that pretty much on anything that you would like. Uh, the <laughs> yep. link is in the description. You can get it on mugs. You can get it on uh, pillows, sweaters. Someone got a pillow. That's right. Uh, there, there is some some amazing things that you can put our uh, logo on. Um, you can find that again. Link in the description or at sleezoidspodcast.com. All right. That's it for the plugs, though. Welcome back. Welcome to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and also joining me, as always, is my co-host. 
Jamie Miller, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. I think uh, two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us, and we would have had special guest Adam Naiman, the uh, one of the editors over at Cinemascope and a writer for The Ringer and also an author in his own right. He actually dropped news of his brand new uh, coffee table book on David Fincher. Uh, on last week's episode, yeah. uh, so definitely look into that. Uh, he brought with him uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt from 1943, as well as The Stepfather from 1987. We were kind of talking about serial killing family members in suburbia. <laughs> yes. Uh, which was a lot of fun to talk about with him. Uh, again, if you haven't heard that episode, that was the free episode on any podcast listener of choice from two weeks ago. And then last week, bouncing off Adam's episode for the Patreon listeners exclusively, we had to copy a little bit of Adam's programming, and we plugged in an episode that kind of paired with it perfectly that I've had planned since like before we started the show. Uh, and we finally did Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Oh, good. We're, we're getting our Alfred Hitchcock uh, out uh, for the year early. And uh, we paired that one with uh, Joe Dante's The Burbs, which yeah. is another sort of uh, similar to Adam's pairing, an 80s update on the Hitchcock. Um, but uh, The Burbs, Tom a Hanks goes a little bit uh, cannibal conspiracy mode, <laughs> yes. uh, which, which, which felt very appropriate for the times of being trapped in your apartment, looking out the window, watching your screens, hoping a story unfolds. Watching your neighbors. Tom Hanks would absolutely just be a QAnon guy today <laughs> yeah, uh, if, definitely. If, if he was around. <laughs> um, so again, uh, that was last week's bonus episode. So patreon.com slash podcast if you want Rear Window and The Burbs. But moving on to this week, we have a very special returning guest coming with uh Coming on this week, this is uh, his third time making an appearance on the show. Uh, many of you will will remember him, I'm sure. Um, he is a horror filmmaker and author. Uh, his film may or may not have appeared on the uh, official Sleezoids top ten of last year. That's right. Uh, and that is filmmaker Perry Rulland. Perry, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I mean, we're very glad to have you back because the last oh, time yeah. you came on the show, you brought with you uh, a little film called Midori. Yeah. Uh, just about <laughs> the most depraved anime film anyone has ever made me watch that featured like a dog being squished and all matter yeah. of sexual violence. And it was a great conversation. It was a great film. But shortly after we talked about that film, it became a TikTok sensation. It did. Uh, yeah. The, the Zoomers discovered Midori. Um, Zoomers were taking the Midori challenge and seeing did, how, yeah. how much they could watch uh, of Midori before, uh, you know, feeling sick. <laughs> yeah, my buddy yeah, well, was uh, listening to that episode during work and he said he had to turn it off until he got home because he was like, <laughs> I don't know if I should be like fixing cars while they're talking about what they're talking about. <laughs> it was very funny. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully um, because you talked about Sungazer a couple months ago, uh, soon the teens on TikTok will be doing the Sungazer challenge where they I all give Gazer me money challenge. on Vimeo. <laughs> it would, yeah, it will, it will be like you have to rent the film, you watch the film, and, and then, then stare at if the you sun. try to see the Sungazer for yourself, yeah, exactly. you go outside yeah. and you stare at the sun yeah. for many hours. <laughs> I am endorsing this as a thing children should do. <laughs> yes, it's, it's very much like uh, when A24 tried to do the, uh, the, the Pepto and Scotch challenge so from First good. Reformed. <laughs> 
that's one of my favorite like modern marketing things. That, that is that, like that tweet was level. up for for not very long. We'll say <laughs> yeah, that's on the level of shit that like game companies do when like EA sent brass knuckles to people for The Godfather Two <laughs> and realized that you legally cannot own brass knuckles in the United States. That is so good. <laughs> Really good. That's awesome, uh, Perry. You've been on the show a couple times. You know, you know how it goes. But knowing, you know, your your history on this show, what depraved manga inspired uh, movies have you brought with you this week? Hell yeah! Oh, uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I guess <laughs> since I've done this three times, I guess I'm the uh, the the manga and anime guy. Uh, which is a good that is you. You're the um, only one who's ever brought it on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I hey, that, I'm more than happy to fill that role. Uh, <laughs> so once again, uh, like last time, I paired a non-Japanese horror film with a manga adaptation. Uh, so I did two very strange, very eerie horror movies about painters. One is mm-hmm. The House with Laughing Windows by Poopy Avati. Poop, poop. Pupi Avati. <laughs> um, and the other is Guinea Pig Part 6 Mermaid in a Manhole by Hideshi Hino. Amazing. Uh, oh, it's an incredible title. <laughs> uh, the first film, House with Laughing Windows, like a full core giallo kind of thing. Um, very, like, don't torture a duckling. And the second is. We'll talk more about it later, but it is the sixth film in a very infamous uh, gore movie series that is an adaptation of a manga uh, written by the director. Okay. Is this your favorite one, by the way? Have you seen them all? I've seen all the guinea pig films. I've seen uh, the unofficial guinea pig film, and I've seen the four American guinea pig films from last <laughs> decade. So I'd say I, I have a pretty solid guinea pig foundation. <laughs> gotcha. uh, and we got we, we got the guinea pig scholar. That's yeah, right on the show. Uh, a dubious uh, <laughs> accolade. But I think, yeah, I mean, Mermaid in a Manhole is definitely my favorite of the bunch. Okay, sweet. All right, well, I think that we will uh, jump into it here, and uh, we'll probably start uh, this week chronologically. We will start with... Uh, the house with the laughing windows. Anch'io. Ma per me è diverso. Io quando voglio posso andarmene di qua. We are talking about The House with Laughing Windows, the 1976 Italian giallo film co-written and directed by uh, Pupi Avati. Um, The film, uh, as Perry mentioned, is very much in the... um, 
vein of kind of like the 70s giallo films of the time uh don't torture a duckling was one that i thought about a lot um uh, obviously you know something like argento's deep red is in there as well um and i was actually i think mostly reminded somehow of a little bit of sergio martino something like a torso or um what's that really long titled one that he's got your your vice your vice locked. locked room and only i have the key yeah. <laughs> one yes. of the great jello titles yes yes so it, it, it it's very much in the the vein of kind of like these occasionally supernatural kind of feeling murder mystery stories with obviously that very kind of heightened italian style to them this one has kind of like a uh, sepia-toned opening to it that is all slow-mo screaming of a man tied up and just being stabbed to death, very much sort of like the opening flashback to something like The Beyond. And I love that he's like screaming and he's like, my sweet colors, hot <laughs> colors flowing down my arms. Yeah, just yeah, it, poetry. It's yeah. beautiful. It's like this super grainy like mostly close-ups of his body like writhing in slow motion while he's getting stabbed i read a review that compared it to um kenneth anger's fireworks and it very okay. much feels in that vein like it's something out of early experimental cinema <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that 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 opening is has has a really um you know great sense of of, of atmosphere and i it kind of anticipate uh, I would say maybe regretfully so it kind of made me anticipate a little bit more of like a, a kind of visually explosive film mm-hmm. which yeah. then it kind of it, it, it doesn't really uh, it is not it, it, it is not uh, it, it definitely gets to some really cool places especially um, in, in in its big climax um, where it finally kind of uh, merges with its opening scene a little bit like that but I was definitely you know anticipating some like uh, some Bava or Argento like yeah. insanity watching the opening sequence there and um, I, I won't say it's necessarily disappointing I've watched enough giallos to know that you know a lot of the time there's a lot of you know uh, Italian bearded men sitting in rooms uh, <laughs> talking to each other uh, and giving each other information about history or something uh, right, before yeah. you know there's uh, you know a more uh, there's the more suspense sequences that that take place which which take on that more heightened quality to them yeah I was I was but expecting the, but, like more just more killing in general to be honest and it turned into something that reminded me more of like uh, like the Wicker Man or City of the Dead or something like that and just kind of yeah like it's somebody definitely got a little a bit of that, and that discovering vibe to it yeah yeah, yeah for sure the Wicker Man's a great comparison because it mm. has a very full core setup where basically it's yeah. like this art historian comes into this very strange small Italian town, a very rural town, which is important to note because most giallo is, you know, it's very uh, downtown swinging Italy stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's usually set in like Rome, but this and Don't Torture a Duckling are like the big two I can think of off the top of my head that are really focused on like rural Italy. Um, and this guy comes in and he has to restore a very clearly cursed painting of a guy who is supposed to be St. Sebastian, but I've never seen St. Sebastian martyred like this because he's like, it, it has like the St. Sebastian imagery of this like a beautiful young man, but instead of, you know, being bound to a tree and pierced with arrows or whatever, uh, a bunch of screaming ladies are jabbing knives into his chest and shoulder blades. And mm-hmm. it's a very enigmatic painting. And as a... Um, 
as a folklore protagonist is to do, he gets a bit too interested in the lore and gets a bit over his head. Yeah, he was he was he was looking up the Saint Sebastian like wiki. And he gets really <laughs> frightened about it. Uh, I, I love too that when when he shows up into this small you know like Italian village, there's this very kind of like tranquil, kind of like beautiful score that's playing. There's this mm-hmm. really nice like location shooting as he's being taken in through the town. There's a little bit of that folk horror element where some elements of the, just the people in the town they seem a little bit odd to him, but in that mm-hmm. way that it's 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 more like quirky. Like at first, it's just kind of like this is an interesting group of people. I'm here to do a job that they've hired me to do. And then some strange vibes, the strange vibes just kind of take over as, you know, he looks at that painting, which is on like this, this rotting wall of like a local church. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, yeah, so here's this really horrifying painting uh, that we keep in our church. And it is done by this very mysterious long dead artist named uh, Lignani. Um, and I love that his first reaction to seeing the painting is obviously, you know, he's, he's, it's a very repulsive image, but he's so very intrigued by it. And I love that his reaction is he understood death so well. He (laughs) saw everything. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, someone else is like, do we really need like this rubbish, like in our church? (laughs) Like this is, this is just uh, this is just like a snuff painting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a pretty good representation of what it's like, you know, watching a a, a shitty movie as a as a Sleazoids fan. <laughs> uh, you you yeah, find the art in the in the, the terror. Exactly. There's just uh, you know, there's there's us three going, wow, this this filmmaker really understood death so well, and everyone else is like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but, but very quickly, uh, again, sort of things start to get a little off in this town. Uh, he receives a mysterious call from some person who sounds exactly, exactly like, uh, Zelda in, in anguish. Uh, that's like, <laughs> yeah, don't a little touch bit. the painting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and Jamie's right. It's, it's got a little bit of that sort of like wicker man and blood on Satan's claw or see the living oh, yeah. dead where the, you know, the creepy townsfolk seem to have this sort of strange relationship to the art and the history and they're giving him information, but it's kind of vague. And sometimes he'll ask very specific questions and they will just kind of be like, oh, don't, don't worry too much about it. You know? Yeah. And it's got and that he's been classic, hired. like small town vibe. I think there's a line where they say, uh, like everybody knows everything here, you know? So it's, it's just very yeah. much that they're all together. They all know each other and, uh, something is afoot. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, he's, he's been hired by this local, uh, townsman. Who's this very, this very small man. Uh, they, they, they say that he's not tall, but he's, but he's big and he, he's <laughs> led the village, uh, to, you know, all sorts of, uh, unity and, uh, prosperity. But, you know, at, at the cost of clearly there is some, you know, uh, th- there's some secrets being held. The guy who's telling yeah. him about, you know, how prosperous their village is. He has this like mute wife who just like walks around the house, like holding dogs. And sometimes she just walks around the town <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's just kind of like, you know, all right, you know, this is just a normal, you know, she's seen some shit, uh, but I don't know what it is. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with this crazy painting of murdered people. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Impossible. Yeah. Yeah. There's oh, a lot of mysterious going on in the town. And I mean, I'm really a sucker for, you know, like town with a dark secret movies where mm-hmm. sun moves in. There's just weird shit. Yeah. Definitely. Um, because 
more than just the painting, there is a um, a titular house with laughing windows in it, which is one of the like one of the, the great, great exteriors in movies. Is this like mm-hmm. old, rundown Italian like hotel that has it's on the poster like all these red lips that are painted over the windows. And the movie is just filled with weird imagery like that in this town. Like, there's, again, there's, there's like, uh, all the strange things the townsfolk are doing. There's just these, like, very eerie set dressings with lots of, like, crosses and stuff. There's, like, a refrigerator full of snails. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just packed with a bunch of, like unsettling but not necessarily dangerous things lying around or they don't appear to be yeah. dangerous at first at least mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there's 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 a lot of like you know things that again just seem kind of strange but you know ultimately kind of harmless until all of a sudden you know they they aren't like when he's walking down the street and his friend the only person in the town who uh, like actually knows him and was just telling him, yeah, do you know what? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling healthy. He implies this history that, you know, he, he might've felt, uh, you know, um, depressed or something like that, but you know, he's feeling great in this town. Then one night he gives him a phone call and he's like, I got to finish telling you this story about this town. You gotta, you gotta like come over here. He goes over to his place and the dude is just like a dummy is just hurled out of his window <laughs> and the dude just splatters on the ground, like, like right in front of him. Very, sort of you know like uh, very suddenly and very shockingly Um, and he dies obviously before he can tell him whatever story it was he was going to tell him about the painting and the church and the town yeah (laughs) very conveniently I also found it pretty funny that like uh, like as he's falling he is you know screaming because presumably he was murdered so but I think (laughs) afterwards when the uh, the lead is talking to the cop he says something like he was he was upset with his life and and you know possibly yeah, he, wanted to do that. And I'm like, well, the, why the, 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 that's, that, that's what leads him on the mystery, right? Because he because yeah. he, he, they, they tell him his friend committed suicide literally like uh, half a day after he just told him he's in like the best mental state he's been in in right. like a decade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they're like, you know, this place is no place for a young man. There's nothing to do but drink here. Uh, there's no young women. That's a big problem in your small Italian town. Uh, yeah, you should man. really get out of here. Hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways, the movie reminds me of like the tenant or something where there's all these signs like, man, you should just get out of here. <laughs> you should really yeah. be gone by now. And of course, by the time that sets in for the character, it's a, uh, Far too late for him. Yeah. Um, well, he's okay. he, he, he's too kind of intrigued. There, there is something about him where, like, he kind of needs to know. He kind of becomes obsessed with figuring out what it is that's going on, with putting these kind of, like, details together, which is something, you know, that they've drawn kind of smartly in the film. Mm-hmm. Because it, it gives you enough, like, just bizarre detail that you're kind of like, okay, there's got to be some sort of explanation for all of this. And eventually there is, and it's pretty great, and we'll get to it. Um, 
but like also, when he like like when for example they move him out of the hotel like into the house and they tell him well we needed to, we needed to give your room to someone else and then as he's packing up all of his stuff to leave they say he's like oh where's the guy who's uh taken my room and they were like no one's taken your room there hasn't been a <laughs> like the last tourist guest in this town was like some nazi in the 40s <laughs> yeah. like and and so he's just like okay so i'm the first tourist guest <laughs> in you know like 30 years and they're kicking me out because they said that there's another one that doesn't exist. And then he's staying with this woman who is just like stuck in her bed and he's hearing all these shifting footsteps and noises through the house. And he's talking to this woman who's, you know, just bedridden. And she's just like, you know, I mean, I live alone. Uh, I haven't heard anything. You think I'm getting up and walking around? Look at me. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's just this, these, you know, the, these strange details just like continue to build. And there, there is a little bit of atmosphere to some of the filmmaking as well. I love that shot of when he can hear the footsteps moving around in the house and he looks out into the hall and it's like this pitch black void other than yeah. like a sliver of light from like the doorway yeah, that he's standing shot. in. Yeah, the um, movie is, like, as to be expected from uh, a Jalo from this era, really stylish. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The or, or even all those wide shots of, uh, like, climbing those tall steps to her oh, bedroom yeah. Yeah. and stuff like that. I was going to oh, mention yeah. the wide shots of when he enters the room uh, that eventually ends up being, like, the murder room. And you can just see the entire thing. There's, like, four pillars in the middle of it, and he just kind of goes throughout and it's just a great use of the space it was it's it's like uh oddly haunting just that empty room that he walks into yeah the the landscapes of the like italian countryside are used really well too um in a way it reminds me of this movie uh anthropophagus by joe d'amato uh (laughs) we've been we've been meaning to watch that because uh it's really good Someone who did the gore for that did gore for another movie. Uh, Castle Freak did the uh, gore for okay. Castle Freak. It is. I would not have That's expected awesome. that because it makes. I mean, the gore in Anthropophagus is probably the gnarliest this side of like the the cannibal cycle. Well, it is technically a cannibal movie, but like the really uh, morally repugnant cannibal cycle from Italy. Like it's <laughs> awesome. it's gross. Um, <laughs> but most of that movie is just like people hanging out by the Mediterranean. And this has a very similar vibe. Like the color palette is just these like, I don't know how to describe it. It feels quintessentially like Mediterranean, like these tans and these like purple sunsets and this like golden glitter off the ocean. Um, Mm -hmm. There's that one scene by, I actually forget if it's by an ocean or a lake. I'm pretty sure it's the lake where he's talking with his friend and they're like, they're drinking beer. Um, And like the this purple water glittering there are very few movies that get that kind of or i'll say there are very few horror movies that get that kind of uh like low mediterranean vibe yeah Mm -hmm. well and and they they want to set up something too that there is something sort of like idyllic you know about Mm -hmm. about his his time that he's spending in this village like there there's a there's a really funny kind of like um very broad like romantic angle to the film where he meets like you know like this this uh this local teacher uh who just arrived into the village around the same time uh that he did 
and you know he he uh at a, at a certain point he just like uh you know cooks her a nice italian dinner and then all of a sudden they're both like stripping because the italian dinner got them both really horny um <laughs> and and As you know it it's the only time that like that uh that sort of like uh sort of romantic music from the opening kind of like comes back because, you know, there, there is something about spending time in this town and just, uh, you know, going for bike rides, like with the guy who runs the church, uh, or <laughs> one of the employees who works at the church, uh, that he's like hanging out with for like a little bit. I think he's the guy who like, uh, guides him to the house that he eventually goes to and eventually does some really gross things as well. But it, it's funny that like there, there is this kind of, sort of idyllic surface of the town and he's very um, drawn to it. And there's lots of sequences as Perry was putting it, you know, where he's, you know, there's just this very beautiful lighting and there's these beautiful locations and there's this nice music and there's this beautiful woman and he's cooking dinner for her. And then he's spending his time restoring just the most horrifying painting that you've ever seen all day <laughs> while he's at work. Yeah. Meanwhile, he hears like a woman moaning in the distance while he's doing his work. And you know, there's, there's just all these, uh, uh, strange things things uh occurring and it, it reminds me too of that that one line that he brings up too where he's just like um everyone says that this artist is very sensitive uh, but all he does is paint death without <laughs> compassion <laughs> and that's kind of like kind of like the dichotomy of what he's experiencing in this town is that there you know there's something kind of sweet uh taking place um with you know a very sick underbelly to it which makes it a good follow-up to you know the last two weeks of episodes we've been doing about sort of like uh, surface American suburbia hiding something very dark and sinister. Um, here we're seeing kind of like an, an Italian version of that. And obviously the Italians have to take that to about as far, as far an extreme as one could possibly take it. Yeah. Which we will say this gets to. <laughs> well, uh, of course you also can't forget the fact that, you know, it's a, some evil painting literally inside a church, you know, they have that a lot of Italian horror has that kind of sacrilegious element. But this and Don't Torture a Duckling, I think, are the two giallo I can think of that, like, this not as much as Don't Torture a Duckling, but they they take on the institution of the church and depict the church as, like, housing some great ancient evil in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like Fulci, Fulci really it. said, like, what was up with Italians and all those kids in, like, 1970? Yeah. <laughs> well... One of the interesting things about uh, Italian genre cinema, and this is off the top of my head, so uh, forgive me if it's not going to be as uh, in-depth as a conversation about it probably should be, but, you know, you can see a lot in, like, the cop films there, but the the, uh, the horror films, too, from, like, the 70s, I mean, this is during the years of lead. Like, this is when there's serious, like, constant political violence mm-hmm. in Italy, Right. It, it's a very it's a very like scary and dangerous time for the country. Uh, so it it interests me how many like Giallo and how many well, not so much Poliziotteschi, but how many Giallo paint Italian society as like there is something inherently dangerous about it. Mm hmm. There's some like great evil in Italy that's just under the surface. Yeah, I mean it's definitely something that they were experiencing. We we talked about it a little bit when we were doing some of their Polizio Tetskis. Mm-hmm. 
where they were obviously turning that that street violence like into entertainment and selling it back. Yeah, but it's so funny. Those those films are so grotesque that the, they're almost you know it, it's this weird thing where it's like part American cop movie where it's kind of fun. And then the violence right. is so horrifying. Yeah. Um, and well, yeah, it's just something very unique to what Italy was doing in the 70s with their films. Yeah, I mean, you, you talked about um, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. <laughs> yes. Which is oh, yeah. kind of the ultimate in just like grotesque police movie. Yeah. Somehow it's um, so much fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. You like have a great time watching these absolute insane cops just do everything that they do and it's horrible, but... Yeah. You're endlessly in, entertained. In a lot of ways, one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to the House of Laughing Windows is it does feel of a piece with, not to get, get a bit too off track, but it feels of a piece with um, my favorite Italian novel, which is from the same era and about broadly similar subjects called The 20 Days of Turin by Giorgio De Maria, which is like a, a horror novel about a, uh, a man in Turin where for 20 days there was a bunch of mysterious violence where people were like slaughtering each other at night and not remembering it and a bunch of weird shit is popping up in the town but everyone in the city has like made a pact to just kind of not talk about it so they exist with this great evil it's not like they necessarily profit off of it or at least not all of them do but they all have like agreed to forget it ever happened and it's not mm. it hasn't gone anywhere you know it hasn't gone away i mean the house with laughing windows sure a lot of the people in the town are in on like some dark conspiracy but there are ordinary innocent people in this movie who just know that there's something bad with the town but they have to accept it right yeah <laughs> they just they live yeah, with that's it. actually one of the scariest parts in the film yeah. is is when he goes back to the town and he's like asking for help um, and obviously we'll, we'll, we'll get to it again when we, you know, really jump into the, the big reveal here. We're kind of, we're kind of holding our cards close to our chest here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but like that, that bit when, when he realizes, because like, it's not like this thing where it's, you know, um, where it's like dead and buried or something, you know, like where it's revealed that the town is kind of like all involved in this and they're kind of helping. Um, there's, there's a, a turn the other cheek kind of mentality that gets mm-hmm. brought up. Um, sort of near the near the end of this film, when um, you know he he starts to realize what it is that this painter actually was, uh, what it was that he did. He finds like this old recording of a man screaming and dying, um, and he he starts trying to find townsfolk who maybe might recognize the voice of the painter to see if that you know that's that's who it was who's on the tape um you know he he eventually starts hearing all these various stories about the painter who you know he had two sisters and he went he went to brazil and apparently came back wealthy and he returned with his sisters but while he was gone apparently his mother died um and they used the money to build the house that he's staying in he finds out that he's been staying in the painter's house and he found out that through the paintings he was essentially trying to control uh, death, to, con- to, to find some sort of sense in, of, of immortality through art, that he was painting people at the moment of their death. Um, at, at one point, he uh, is told that, you know, the, the painter would just visit local people on their deathbeds. You know, they were dying anyway, uh, and he would go in and, and, and he would paint them. Um, 
But then uh, it sort of made clear that he didn't really stop there. He didn't wait for people to die naturally to paint them. His sisters began kidnapping people for him so that that he could paint um, them essentially being murdered. And we kind of put two and two together and we realized that that's what is happening in the painting that he has been restoring. And what was happening in the opening scene was that his sisters were straight up murdering someone so that he could uh, paint them in their final moments and maybe, you know, sort of <laughs> that find the answer to death. And it's, it's sort of loosely implied that, you know, maybe to bring their mother back um, Which- is kind of, is kind of the idea. Not to circle back around on, like, the suspicious church stuff too much, but that really, I mean, the idea of a painting of St. Sebastian where the implication is the model for St. Sebastian here died for the artist, like the saints died so the artist has something to paint, is a very very cynical way to look at Catholic art. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they, they even, uh, I think the, the priest says it at one point, he describes it as communion and sacrifice yeah. or something like that. Um, and yeah, ultimately, you know, he, he's, he's uncovering all of this in this really sort of like, you know, more sort of like obsessive sort of like murder mystery style idea. He's, you know, he's, he's getting all of this information kind of slowly doled out to him in, in kind of like exposition, but he's slowly piecing that together with the stranger sort of aspects from the style, um, of, of the film. And at a certain point, he basically describes it as, you know, he feels possessed by finding out what is going on with this town's history, how it relates to this painting, how it relates to, you know, um, sort of, again, this artist trying to find immortality through art. And it's a question of, you know, did he in some way? It's kind of, you know, it's, it's questions that it's kind of bringing up. Um, eventually he finds out that the painter supposedly, um, he's presumed dead because he covered himself in alcohol and set himself on fire and ran into the wilderness. And I love the, the one dude who's just like, yeah, that's why he's presumed dead. I can't tell you he's dead. We didn't find him. He's presumed dead. And he uh, tells him that like three or four times. (laughs) The flashback showing that too is really, really cool. Like Mm -hmm. the, like a, a burning body against a black void. It feels very like, um, that documentarian, uh, Rodney Asher, who did like Room 237 and The Nightmare and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, it feels he has like a short film that is basically identical to that shot of like a man on fire running through a black void, which is just I mean, it's it's one of my favorite images from the house laughing windows. It's yeah, it's it's stunning. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that, too, combined with. You know, again, how you you realize that that horror, you know, somehow exists in the things that you're seeing now. But the things that you're seeing now is like that tiny little house with like the laughing mouths on it, mm-hmm. which just such like when they when they get to the wide shot of showing him that where the town's dude is like sort of digging up uh, all the missing victims because the, the I guess the, the town's guy kind of has an idea of where the sisters, you know, sort of like uh, buried the remains of the bodies um, of the people that they killed for the paintings. And just the way that that's like tackled where it's, it's very kind of like just sweaty and gross watching this town's too, just like dig up these bones and stuff yeah. like that. Meanwhile, like the employee from the church is essentially trying to like, like rape the teacher 
inside the house and it's like cross-cutting between those two things happening at the same time this is basically like the the big climax um of the film yeah and originally they were supposed to leave together and he decided because he was just so intrigued that he had to dive in a little deeper and uh, well yeah she's like promise me you'll stop this crusade right exactly exactly and he doesn't and of course it leads to some a lot of people's demise actually not just not just francesca or himself so. Yeah, when, oh, when, yeah, when he goes in there and finds Francesca, like, strung up, like, one of the paintings by her wrists with yeah. her, like, knife wounds in her abdomen and, and things yeah, like and that. Yeah, and the puddle of blood surrounding her. Like, it's, yeah, it, it gets I, to that Again, point. the colors there, I mean, it's like the, the canvas she's against is, like, dark tan. The ropes holding her are, like, light tan. Her skin yeah. is, like, olive-hued, and then there's just this dark red blood. It's not like Argento blood, which is this like very candy apple looking thing. It's yeah. this like red smear. It looks like dry, it looks like dried blood. Yeah, that's, um, mm-hmm. that's like it. Go ahead. Sorry. It reminds me a lot of like still life paintings of like cuts of beef. <laughs> um, like <laughs> yesterday, actually, uh, uh, this year I've been trying to keep like a, like an aesthetic thread going basically. And I was looking at a painting Rembrandt did of like a slaughtered ox, which I'll, uh, I'll actually post that in the, in the call we have right now. And I figure you can just throw it up on the, the Twitter account with the show description or something. But oh yeah, it feels like of a piece with that kind of thing. Yeah. In the framing of the body too. It's just, it's very... It's a very um, artistically composed kill scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also noticed. Yeah, and that it's, it's also got all those tan colors and like yeah. browns and stuff like that. Yeah, right. And because the color palette has mostly like tans and browns and stuff, when the violence happens or the 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 art that uh, always has violence in it, it kind of th- those are where like a lot of the colors come from. So when you're watching, mm-hmm. seeing death or whatever, that's where you see colors pop out of the screen, and everything else just kind of has that like tan uh, color to it or brown. Uh, yeah, it kind, yeah. kind of replicates the painter's experience of wanting to paint like murder scenarios. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you go from the white and brown and of the, like just the dirt and the bones from when they're digging up the corpses, and then to like the yellow house with the red lips and stuff, and that's the only like vibrant color in the whole shot. Um, yeah, yeah it's really cool. there's red on blood. Even like the the people mostly wear like either tan suits or mm-hmm. like brown coats. Uh, the guy goes around the whole movie with like this dark brown necktie. Like there's no, the, there is only color in uh, interiors of dangerous buildings. Like yeah. when he goes in the house of laughing windows for the first time, there is this like red cloth that's draped above a cabinet or um, as a little bit of foreshadowing in the church, there is quite a bit of red on cabinets or like on Jesus's like, <laughs> sash mm-hmm. uh he has uh the, the protagonist rides like a red motorcycle uh it's a very controlled palette like they really yeah. know what they're doing with the colors here mm-hmm. yeah I, I like that bit when he gets on the, the the motorbike and starts like riding back because like what gets him to do that is like they they find the the townsman um drowned in the ravine near the church uh, with more alcohol than water in his body, they, they say. But then shortly after that, he gets a phone call 
from Francesca, who he just saw, you know, strung up and murdered, saying, you know, how scared she is and how she's she's waiting for him. And but but she he knows that obviously she died. He saw her body. Um, and I like too that they don't let it linger too long on is this something like supernatural like is she still alive in in some way they actually cut to um you know the murderer's hand holding the recording device up to the phone that he's listening uh to where they essentially recorded her final moments before she died um the same way that you know he became obsessed by the old recording of the man screaming and dying from the opening scene and that's what inspires him to get on the motorbike and, and head back to the house where we just get an absolutely like insane uh, finale. Yeah. yeah. Where and we know he's being yeah. led to something bad because of the information that was doled mm-hmm. out to us. So that's interesting too and to just watch a man go to his death or demise or whatever is about to happen. The, the climax has a lot of um, like ambiguously supernatural things. Like the sisters who look like they haven't aged much from the original painting that they're depicted in, and the fact that the model of St. Sebastian is still there. Yeah. Like, he ha- he's yeah. dead, but he has not decomposed a day. His hair hasn't gone gray either. It's like he's been preserved as this, like, eternal youth, like a, a portrait of Dorian Gray thing, just laying in yeah. this fucking weird art studio. And there's also a giant skeleton in formaldehyde in a cabinet. Which is a very yeah. spooky image. That that is such a good shot. When 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 he goes in and, and he sees um you know the the sisters uh you know stabbing uh someone I think, to death. I, I think it's the for, young guy it, that was raping. Yeah, I was Francesca. gonna say it, yeah, it, it's the young guy from the church, the employee that he was like kind of posing as like kind of like his friend, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so the, the, the sisters are abs- you know, killing that guy the same way that we saw, uh, the, in the painting of St. Sebastian. Um, but then they open up the cabinet and it is supposedly their little brother, the painter, who is just in a, in a giant jar <laughs> inside the cabinet, just like this, this corpse, uh, sitting in there, which is funny when you think about it, because it, like it's like you know, they're we're talking about how it seems like the sister, the sisters haven't aged at all, but here's the brother like decomposing in a jar, yeah. a giant jar of you know formaldehyde, uh, it, which is really funny. It's also worth noting that in that finale, when the sisters are you know stabbing, their like smocks and their headdresses especially are very uh, nuns habit esque. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. It's also Definitely. a very strange thing to watch, like, because uh, eventually the guy gets gets loose. He gets stabbed and then decides to run away. And they have, a like, a, a I don't know, like a minute sequence of them actually running uh, after him in the woods. And he's just going through all the trees and stuff. It's almost like Chainsaw Massacre in a way. Yeah. But instead, it's just two old women with <laughs> knives, like, just running after the guy. It was kind of, uh, it was strange. And well, yeah, and, 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 and he's running into the forest the same way that, like, the brother supposedly was lit on fire and ran into the wilderness right. as well. Right, But this is the part that I was mentioning earlier, too, because that's when he gets back on the motorbike and he makes his way back into town. And he's smashing on the doors, asking for help, being like, there's something evil happening here, like, someone help. And everyone is just, uh, there's shots of people inside, you know, their apartments, basically just ignoring his cries. Sorry, man. Presumably because they know that, you know, the sisters 
require some sort of sacrifice and we're not going to do it for them, but we're just going to let them do their thing. Yeah. We're just going to sit and, and be quiet. And, and you it know, seems the, the anyone sisters, that helps. The, 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 we're going to let the sisters wicker man you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very much like a one's walking away from Omela situation where they all know to live in this city, you got to put up with something really evil happening. And I guess life there is just good enough that, you know, they're not going <laughs> to complain too much when some random guy gets fucking got yeah, you gotta <laughs> sacrifice a tourist every year just to yeah. live in this beautiful rural area. Well, yeah, yeah. and then and then uh, he makes his way to the church. Uh, bad move. Yeah, very <laughs> bad move. <laughs> and, and and the priest says Definitely one of the creepiest lines in the movie, which is, "That's a nice wound." Uh, yeah. Like that, he would would make a masterpiece out of it, and the priest starts like singing in like a woman's voice and reveals himself to be one of the sisters because he he was <laughs> kind of looking at one of the paintings where he could kind of see sort of you know sort of like more masculine features uh, underneath like the nun's outfit or whatever in one of the paintings, and it turns out that the priest was you know uh, you know <laughs> either one of the sisters or was involved with the sisters um, in col- helping collect the victims for the painters and stuff like when he reveals he takes off his priest robe and there's the the white robe that the sisters were wearing with the blood on it but i think he even ha- like she even has one of her boobs out too mm-hmm. and it's just like it's that was one of the strangest last two minutes of a movie like i i was i was just not expecting the priest to also be like dressed up as one of the sisters it's so much stranger than everything else that goes on so i mean i liked it yeah. but i was like damn yeah. that was a that was a curveball for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 and the way it cuts to the, the face on the painting and then, yeah, you know, yeah. the face of the priest, like laughing maniacally, like it is in the paintings while they're stabbing the guy, basically just letting you know that that's exactly probably what they're about to do to him. And then that's right. the end yeah. of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it just ends right there. Just the, the, just the maniacal laughter. Credits yeah, to yeah, maniacal it, laughter. Yeah. Yeah. The, the exterior of the church, like a single hand clasps, uh, a tree in the foreground and freeze frame. Yep. And yeah, that's last shot. Evil church. It's uh, it's Man. it's one of the yeah. That was a really really strange last two minutes that I appreciated for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Giallos are always uh, uh, fun like that, and maybe yeah. pivoting towards uh, re- reductive rating round. Uh, this one at the moment, it's going to get the high three from me. I was kind of feeling like it. I, I feel like I need to give this one another watch because it, yeah. it, for me, the, the main thing was that it was just, it was a little, it was a little bit slow um, for me just in, in the way that how much, you know, he was just being kind of doled out information through exposition. But there, as we've been talking about it, there is a lot of style going on mm-hmm. in, in this movie. I feel like I just, maybe I'm so uh, accustomed to like the most extreme Italian yeah, style filmmaking. When someone's a little more subtle with it, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you're not going Bava with this. <laughs> I need to see some, some black Sunday fucking craziness. Um, and it might not be totally fair because I was just thinking about it and I, I really like, um, don't torture a duckling, which, uh, also mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, have, you know, uh, that much, uh, you know, sort of Argento craziness to it, but it has more, um, it, has it definitely more has a little does, bit more yeah. going on just because Fulci, uh, he, he really doesn't shy away from how grotesque the aftermath of what's being done to these kids yeah. uh, in Don't Torture a Duckling is. And also the big finale 
yeah. is uh, very subjective in one of the characters that you've spent a lot of time with. And the big reveal for Don't Torture a Duckling, like, kind of, like, uh, is really, really nasty. And it ends on in Fulci fashion on, like, a giant head smash on rocks and stuff like that. <laughs> so Fulci really builds to that big climax. But, you know, I... I I'm I'm definitely leaning like as high a three as I could probably give I th- I think on this one because yeah. as much as it does you know take its time it does have a decent sense of atmosphere and it does have a pretty damn spectacular um, finale which even if it doesn't go full Fulci Argento you know uh, in in either direction doesn't go quite as styles or doesn't go quite as violent um, it, it did it's talking about it it's, it's gotten under my skin for sure like yeah. just the the way that it merges the maniacal laughing of the paintings and the idea of sort of like art and death and uh preservation <laughs> um and uh, and that that big reveal of the 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 body the corpse the rotting corpse of the painter being held in a giant jar inside a cabinet in the house uh, you know, on, on, on top of also the creepiness of them recording the people while they're about to die and then playing it back through the phone. There's a lot of really creepy stuff going on in this. So, yeah, yeah, I would. I'm, high three. I think. I'm going to give it the high three right now, too. But I'm, I'm right there with you. I think I want to rewatch this. I think my I just had expectations going in, uh, especially with that, se- like that scene in the beginning with the kind of like sepia tone and just this the those close-ups of the body getting stabbed and the knife going into the flesh and 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 all that i was just expecting i definitely would have liked to seen a little bit more of that uh because they the the transcendent aspect that they're referring to in that sequence yeah for sure where we're in his final moment of death he's screaming like purity purity (laughs) all my colors (laughs) right (laughs) so like yeah yeah I would have. Yeah, it, it, it hits at something a little bit more visually explosive in the finale than this eventually gets to. Even though what they eventually get to is still very solidly done. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and once again, I really do appreciate the kind of almost dull color palette that's in the movie because then every time there's there's violence or the paintings are shown or any type of art really because there's even that sequence where they show a wall of all of his paintings and like all of them are just different deaths basically and just and it's like <laughs> yeah. one of the most colorful uh points in the movie and all it is is just people dying in different ways on a wall so like just things like that i thought were really uh uh well done and, and intelligent ways to use uh, color um and then you, once again we always have a, a fun little weird you know very strange finale that comes with this these giallo films a, a priest literally takes off his like mask and robes to reveal that he's a one of the sisters that's been murdering people the whole time like it's just so crazy (laughs) and over the top and i love that type of stuff so yeah i just i feel like i wasn't in the exact mindset that i should have been in going into it i just had certain expectations and i shouldn't shouldn't do that when i'm when i'm watching a movie so yeah i just want to rewatch it but it does uh definitely have great atmosphere and i'm always just intrigued by any movie that's about somebody going into a town or just any space that they're kind of unfamiliar with, but it's holding a, a dark secret. I just, I always love that. So uh, yeah, high three for now. This one's a four for me. Nice. Um, I think for all the, all the same reasons, I mean, you two have both discussed. Uh, and I, I definitely think the movie is like a victim of the idea of Giallo especially these mm-hmm. days when like yeah. giallo has kind of 
the the stylish cream of the crop has kind of become the the catch-all for giallo which is fair because i mean like argento is the the like pure version of this mode but i don't know for a when it's removed from the idea of like opera or something this Mm -hmm. movie works really 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 well um it's just this really slow simmering kind of inexplicable folk horror movie um that just happens to fit these like giallo trappings yeah uh it's one of my favorite italian horror movies because it does exist on that borderland between what like the british were doing at this time and the the giallo stylings and it's just strange there's so many bizarre images in it so many like unexplained supernatural flourishes Mm-hmm. It's a movie that's really stuck with me in a way that most Jallo hasn't. Yeah, there are cool. there are scenes like that uh, that do appear kind of more supernatural. Like winds would start to pick up and stuff like that, but they never really <laughs> dive into anything like that. It's just kind of there for atmosphere. So yeah, I did I did like that. Yeah, movie. well, that's I'd say that's the whole movie. You know, it's all there for yeah, atmosphere for sure like if mm-hmm. if creating a horror movie is all about creating a particular atmosphere then the the logic mm-hmm. of reality doesn't really need to apply yeah mm-hmm. in fact I it agree. probably shouldn't the more impossible it is the better uh, like the scarier yeah oh yeah, yeah. like my favorite moment in uh in deep red to talk about jala for a second is the uh, the puppet the doll guy who walks into that room and shatters and have, have you two discussed deep red the podcast i forget i don't oh, think we've done yet. deep red now oh okay well yeah there's one scene in deep red with like an impossible automaton um that's never mm. explained and it's never brought up again but it's just the power of that image mm-hmm. is like it, it's like piercing you know it's like as we talked about with midori like this idea of surreal horror where it doesn't have to make sense but the image just has to kind of shock your sense shock your system uh and i think that house laughing windows is very good at that all right well i think that's going to wrap it up for uh the house with the laughing windows uh we are going to be right back and we are going to be talking about uh guinea pig six (laughs) mermaid in a manhole hell yeah hell yeah We are back and we are talking uh, guinea pig six mermaid <laughs> in a manhole or is it guinea pig five or uh, is it guinea pig four? It's yeah, guinea you pig. need to settle this debate for me right now. <laughs> yeah, it's guinea pig six. Um, it was okay. released fourth, but it is chronologically the sixth. Um, I think it's okay. mostly known as fourth two because in the DVD box set that Unearthed Films did, it was labeled as guinea pig four. Okay. Which was besides like some some, illegal some tapes. intern yeah. at the guinea pig bootleg uh, company. 
messed <laughs> yeah. up. Well, the only way you could watch these were like bootlegs, which, I mean, let's just get into Guinea Pig real quick, because Guinea Pig is one of my favorite film series, despite thinking that um, very few of them are actually any good. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a sicko loser, and I watch a lot of gore films. Um, and yeah. by gore films, I we don't mean like... Um, gore films where like there's a plot I mean like here's 45 minutes of gore special effects of something being cut up and sometimes <laughs> yeah. it pays off uh, sometimes I see some really fucking good movies that like change the way I view horror cinema or whatever most of yeah, the time the, they the, suck. The, the, that's why we that's how we use you we use people yeah. like you we use friend of the show Steve Carlson because you guys will yeah. really just watch anything <laughs> and when you or Steve give something a four and it's seen by ten people and it's yep. 20 minutes of someone being dismembered I'm like okay that's probably the good one yeah watch list <laughs> so exactly. those are the only ones I watch <laughs> that's smart I'm glad to take the bullet for you um, but so Guinea Pig is the main, most famous series of gore films, I'd say. There's August Underground, but that's only, like, that's like a joke. No one actually gives a shit about August Underground. Okay. Um, Guinea Pig is a Japanese series uh, that was created by Hideshi Hino. Uh, He doesn't direct all of them, but it was, like, his idea. Hideshi Hino is an Eroguro mangaka. Um, you could say he's like a contemporary of Suhiro Maru, but who did Midori? Uh, but while Suhiro Maru is very much a capital A art person, he, like he has gallery shows and stuff. Hideshi Hino is a lot pulpier, a lot sillier. Mm-hmm. His stu- his style is very, very cartoonish, like newspaper cartoonish. It's a lot closer to. Like shoujo manga, like the idea of like '90s like girls manga or '80s girls manga, than it is mm. to Suhiro Maru's, you know, really, really crisp composed lines and such. Um, okay. So he makes kind of gotcha. really violent manga, but also they're they're kind of silly and goofy. Um, most of the guinea so when, pig when, movies. When, when, when he started the guinea pig movies, did he know that you know he was only gonna do a couple of them? That he was gonna have other people do so. them as well? Yeah. Okay. Um, because the, he, from what I understand, he's only made two, right? He's only he made, made two. Entry he made the two, two and entry six. Yeah, he made the two good ones, in my opinion. Gotcha. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the first one, Devil's Experiment, is like a fake snuff film. Like, okay. it's faux, like, here's a videotape we found, and it's, you know, these guys stalk a girl around, they they knock her out, then they, they torture her and dismember her. and um, Is that is, is that the one that Charlie Sheen watched? No, the one Charlie <laughs> Sheen watched, which is a great story, is Guinea Pig 2, Flower, <laughs> Flesh, and Blood, which Hideshi Hino directed. One of the okay. great film titles, by the way, Flower, Flesh, and Blood. I mean, come on. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it is a Hideshi Hino adaptation of one of his manga, which is a man in a samurai outfit who is played by Hideshi Hino. Um kidnaps this woman and turns her body into art. Um, Like he like artistically dismembers her and preserves parts of her body in like a gallery. Um, This is something that shows up in a lot of Hideshi Hino work is the idea. Yeah. I was just going to ask that actually. Yeah. Destructive manhole too. It's focused on an artist. So yes. Um, It's focused on a violent artist. A lot of his stuff's focused on a violent artist. His best manga panorama of hell it's like a pseudo autobiographical work that also features like an artist, like 
abusing and chopping up his family, among other people. Um, okay. <laughs> is this guy married? Uh, he seems like a fun guy uh, <laughs> on Twitter he posts about beer all the time alright uh, okay good dude but yeah then there are a bunch of like goofy yeah, so, 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 so we're, we're just going to assume for now that he's not a real life driller killer <laughs> yes we'll give him the benefit of the doubt on absolutely but uh, from, what I, from what I understand, because I, I I read that there was something about that that Charlie Sheen watched Charlie that film. Sheen watched that one and thought it was a real snuff film. Which is if you watch that movie, which by the way I think Flower Flesh and Bud's a great movie, you'd have to be really fucking stupid to think that's a real snuff film. <laughs> because like, damn, this snuff <laughs> film director spent a lot of time stopping recording to change camera angles. While someone was bleeding out, <laughs> like yeah. they're like they're like <laughs> God's eye view shots. Like, sorry, no serial killer is gonna you know stop murdering someone, and while their fucking like arm is bleeding out, so they can go set up the camera on some rig on their ceiling. Like, he was probably <laughs> on a lot of cocaine too. He was definitely on a lot so of cocaine. That, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but but apparently he believed it was real, and he literally called the cops. Yeah, he literally called the <laughs> FBI, Guinea and the Pig FBI too. investigated yeah. <laughs> it, and we're like, uh, these are very much special effects. That's um, so funny. Future guinea pig yeah. films uh, would have like making of documentaries, and also future guinea pig films would be kind of goofy. Um, Flower, Flesh, and Bud is the last like fake snuff one. After that, they're all kind of like genre, more like supernatural genre works. There's He Never Dies and Devil Woman Doctor, which are, like, goofy horror comedies. Like, Sam Raimi stuff, basically. Okay. Um, mm. There's Android of Notre Dame, which is solid, <laughs> which is a sci-fi, like, cyberpunk body horror one. And then cool. there is the best one, uh, which is, in, like, my top five, top ten horror films, Guinea Pig, Mermaid, and Manhole. And Guinea Pig, yeah, Mermaid, the thing and that Manhole. I was surprised by Mermaid in a Manhole was that, you know, like, I had been... You know, a lot of the reviews about it were, you know, they were talking about it like it was a shot on video extreme gore kind of snuff thing. And I actually, mm-hmm. when I ended up watching it, I was kind of like, this is more like kind of like character based and stylish <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for I like a film that was described that way. Like I, I thought I was kind of prepping myself to watch kind of like an like an early torture porn era kind of thing. And I mean, no, I, you know, maybe is... maybe also I'm super desensitized. I don't know. Uh, that could that could <laughs> yeah, also be the thing here. Like I definitely wouldn't sit problem, down and but... show this to someone else who, you know, like this is a nasty movie. It's really filthy. But yeah. there there's there is more, you know, sort of like craft and character that is going into this than, uh, you know, I expected based on people's, you know, sort of like uh, the, the the reaction to it, the kind of hype around it. You know, the idea of this is one of the, the grossest movies I've ever seen. Uh, and I was kind of yeah. like, uh, it is in a, in a way that I found, you know, sort of effective to this character's headspace. Yeah, uh, it's a gross we'll movie, but we break it down. it's not, I mean, to basically discuss the plot, it is an artist who paints rot and decay, basically. Um, which is, you know, a great setup for, like, a short horror story, which this originally was. It was, like, a, like a 10, 20-page manga. And the guy goes down to the sewers to paint still lifes of, pe- of things he sees in the sewer. 
Um, he's depressed. But the, but the, 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 the detail I kind of like about that, though, is that it didn't used to be. Yes, you know, exactly. This really filthy, rotting uh, sewer, and I think that's a really important part. Yeah, because he's his character because he's, because you're introduced with like you know the shitty water and the worms and like mm-hmm. soggy pieces of flesh and like there's like a fetus just sitting there's in the fetus, sewer. It's really horrible a, uh, textures. Like a, cat, a dead cat that's covered in like maggots. And yeah. what you learn from like his neighbors is they mention, oh, there's the artist. He's so strange. His wife died, and he seems really, he seems really upset. And you get the sense that this guy's life is going to shit because he used to play at this river all the time. There was this beautiful reservoir. We see old paintings of it, and now that reservoir has been turned into somehow I don't know how it works architecturally, but it is a shitty sewer. It's like <laughs> the most vile movie sewer imaginable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when he goes down here one day to paint, he finds a mermaid. Um, and the mermaid is a mermaid from his childhood, who he used to yeah, see who, when he played yeah. in the in, in the river. Um, and again, like House of Laughing Windows, it's like this unexplained supernatural flourish where they're not going to bother being like, wow, mermaids are real? That's crazy. And I think that's like, <laughs> no, there's a mermaid. It's like a magical realist kind of thing. Yeah, and, she, um, and she's sitting next to the maggot cat and yeah. the, like, dead fetus in the shit water. <laughs> <laughs> she's just such a contrast uh, to that, too, right? Because she's got, like, it's just nothing but brown shit water everywhere and trash or whatever. But then, like, the scales that she has are, like, pink and blue and they shine a little bit, which was kind mm-hmm. of an interesting contrast. Like, she's yeah, at well, first it, shown as very uh, beautiful, you know? Um, mm-hmm. As opposed to all the trash that's laid around her, but then we get that shot well, yeah, of she's, the, the she, she, she's of definitely the bright boils. spot of you know the place that he used to love and paint, right? Like yeah. he's 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 remembering his time going to that river, and it, 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 he shows us a lot of images. You know, he contrasts you know sort of like you know what these really horrible textures of what the sewer is now you know, in the flesh versus, you know, sort of like these really idyllic paintings that he did of this place as a child and how that place has sort of changed and deformed over time. And it's something that, you know, he's, he's, uh, interestingly, you know, he's kind of sad about it, but he's kind of making do with that. He's just like, this is what has happened. So I'm going to continue to paint and I'm going to continue to paint, you know, using these beautiful strokes and colors and everything, but I'm going to paint, you know, what it is now. Yeah. And so there's yeah. this, this, there's this kind of idea of turning this horrible images into something, you know, kind of beautiful in their own way. And that is only amplified when he goes into that manhole. By the way, I love that low angle shot of him opening that manhole yeah. and all that light me of, coming uh, in. The ring, like when uh, they have yes. that shot in the <laughs> videotape. Yeah, and uh, it was. Pro- it might have been inspired by that actually. So that's pretty cool. I I watched um, Mermaid a Manhole with a friend who was very drunk. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it many times, but when I rewatched it recently, he was very drunk, and for the first like four shots of the movie with like this really long takes with like a drifting camera. He was like, wow, this is like, this is like Hong Sang Su. Perry, this feels like Hong Sang Su. And I'm like, okay, man. Uh, and <laughs> once that low angle shot came in, he's like, oh no, this is something else. Um, but then he went right back to comparing it. That, to, like, that artist Yang goes into that manhole. He's like, I'm feeling like yeah. Hong Sang Su. Right yeah. <laughs> um, 
yeah, it's a Although very I, I, I do love stylish when, when he goes down there. There's like you know he's talking about all my lost treasures are here. Yeah, uh, and you know he's he's talking about it kind of lovingly. Like this is like his new his new place. Yeah, it's and very much like it's it, when you're dealing with a movie about an artist, it's impossible to not view it as like an autobiographical thing, especially when it's. Uh, you know, an artist who is dealing with like rot and finding beauty in rot. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like based on a mangaka by this guy who wrote and inked it and he wrote and directed it. And he definitely feels some companionship with, you know, an artist who goes Mm -hmm. to an awful place and sees awful things, but finds beauty in them. Because when he paints these things, you're right. He's not like, oh, this is disgusting. I hate this. He treats yeah. it with the same reverence he treats the old sewer. Yeah. Or the old river before it was a sewer. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I love that, you know, he's looking at all these horrible things and he's talking. He's like, all these beautiful things that I have ever lost all this time I have lost. And he's, he's referring to how it used to be this beautiful river and there's flashings of the paintings and everything. And it's it, it, you're wondering kind of like, is it a little bit also the paintings are kind of serving as memory a little bit for him as well? Yes. That just just the the sort of image of them like and um, and, you know, obviously now it's a disgusting sewer with fetuses and rats and worms and pus and just everything that you can imagine um but you know when he finds that mermaid down there he sees you know an old flash of it of what used to be there and sort of similar to house uh the laughing windows he kind of is like i need to preserve this before it's gone Mm -hmm. and you know she she is suffering from some sort of infected wound yes Uh, Uh, it it feels like she's kind of like falling apart her tail is kind of like sticky and drippy and and peeling off so he takes her into his apartment where essentially he you know she is asking him to paint her before you know presumably she's going to die and a, a couple things that are worth noting um one is that wound uh, it's the first bit of gore in this, and from the second you see that wound, you get, oh yeah, this is where the budget of the guinea pig movies go. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> this this movie is gorgeous. I think it's like a very well shot movie. The production design is great. The lighting, especially in the back half, is off yeah. the chain. But oh yeah, the the wound looks like the way I describe it is like when you get a piece of pizza and like it's there are air bubbles in it. <laughs> it looks like air bubbles with like red tomato sauce over it. It's a very <laughs> texturally gross wound that she has spreading on her. And yeah, he brings her into his apartment um, in, in a bathtub. And the way they talk is he speaks to her normally, but she doesn't move her lips. She like psychically communicates with him. So yeah, she yes. is begging him psychically, or at least because, you know, we're in the POV of this guy. He at least is thinking that she is psychically begging him to paint her, <laughs> um, which he does. You know, he's he he starts painting her, and he's giving her like fish heads to eat, or no, she's giving her whole fishes to eat, and then throwing out the fish heads, which the neighbors are disgusted by. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I even love that 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 close up tracking shot of them like carrying the tub in for him. Oh my god, like, so good. Him. 
watching the, the the neighbors are being like why is he installing a giant tub and now he's now he's not ever leaving his apartment like he used to go yeah. out every day and paint things something and they weird start, is 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 ha- is happening here and they start yeah. seeing all the like trash bags with blood pouring out of them and stuff things just start to evolve <laughs> for sure the suspicions yeah. grow well because basically as soon as the mermaid is brought out of the manhole she starts dying um, right. Like her. Yeah. Her she, she, she goes. You, you better. You better paint me. That yeah. is your your mission. And she starts like posing like Kate Winslet in Titanic in the. Time. <laughs> she's yeah. Like, she, she she she's like paint me, uh, <laughs> and and but also that that wound is starting to. It grows to, rapidly. Like yeah, it's very starting, quickly starting to turn into like these really over, bloody boils. Yeah. She she's like a traditional mermaid in that her lower half, her her like legs are a tail. Her upper half is like a nude woman. And originally yeah, her yeah. wound is just like on like her gut and it very quickly starts spreading up her chest and then up her like yeah. armpit area. It's like her neck. <clears throat> and eventually, of course, it gets to her face. But basically she is in horrible pain. Um, she Her wounds start like oozing. Yeah, um, pulsating. And, uh, yeah, and pulsating. And he's trying to paint her. But she's always changing while he's painting her. And first he paints her as like this beautiful woman. But before he finishes, her like tumors, for lack of a better word, like on her body, these like big like pustules start mm. oozing colored blood. Um, like oh, God. Bright, yeah, they, they start to like pop and spew. The the this is like white, the gory yeah. mermaid equivalent of like watching someone pop a pimple in like yes. a video. Oh, That's way what, like, worse though. Or, way worse because yeah. they they like shoot like fountains. It's yeah. like <laughs> pressurized water. Um, and the blood is like um. I don't like this movie very much, but uh, have, I forget. Have you discussed street trash on the show? Yeah, <laughs> we have. Yeah, discussed yeah, street okay, trash. yeah. We we kind of had mixed feelings about yeah. street trash. Well, but, the blood but, yeah. looks like the body melt stuff in it. street trash, where it's like these really bright, vibrant purples and greens and yellows that are dripping right. out of her body, and they are gorgeous. I mean, it's terrifying to look at, especially because you have really close ups of these like gross things, and but it's a really beautiful image, you know, of she and she willingly like leans over and like squeezes them so that yeah. like the the lack of the better word the too. juices yeah can like fall into glass receptacles which he then uses to he literally paints the portrait of her in her blood and uh, pus. prismatic blood yeah her blood and pus <laughs> and as she evolves yeah. his painting evolves too because well he no longer has this beautiful mermaid to paint because her face is slowly growing uh, pustules and her hair is falling out and she's looking more and more like microwaved, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and, and I, I, lo- I love too that as you know, she's talking about there's seven colors inside these term these tumors, and please, I, I suffer so much. Like, do this art fast, and you know. So he's he's trying really hard to like squeeze these colors out of her and put them into his thing, and then he's trying to to paint her. And as the you know his painting is starting to change in shape and color, um, you know, from this beautiful mermaid, like from the old paintings, you know, his his art is changing at the same time that literally her sort of biology is changing. Um, and at the same time, also the the style and the color of the actual lighting used in the film starts to change as well. 
Like you actually get these like more prominent like greens and oranges um, and like really harshly lit, like almost like neon colors in his filthy apartment. Yeah. <laughs> start to kind of like develop as, you know, his, his actual art is changing. Like, like the art itself it's it, obviously as it's taking on this tangible quality as like the colors are literally just like this bloody pus that's falling out of her body. Uh, it, it's also having an effect on like, you know, uh, the, the, the overall room that he's staying in and yeah, everything. It looks very Mario Bava, like for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or for lack of a better comparison. Mm-hmm. I also, the way that yeah. they film the, the the clusters of boils or whatever, and as they expand, they start to do, uh, like, close-ups of the pus and blood running through, like, the labyrinth of the clusters, which is just <laughs> disgusting to watch, because it's just, you're just watching running blood and pus move in between all of the boils, like, it's some maze of disgusting, uh, like... Every every once in a while, it it, it cuts back to her uh, flapping tail in the bloody water. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Just to remind you that this is still something even stranger, that there's a mermaid in this this bathtub as well, not just a woman going through like a deterioration. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, but 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 watching her squeeze those colors into like those painting cups for him ugh. definitely or him it, cutting it brings them, new like, meaning a, to like suffering suffering for art or turning your your pain and channeling it into something you know beautiful and and, yeah. and colorful. Well, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Hideshi cutting Hino, them with a knife to it, like just yeah. get more blood out of them and stuff like that. He starts to do like halfway through the the movie is also just another disgusting addition to the acts yeah. that are taking place. Hideshi the, the worst section for me is when she eventually, you know, she 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 goes like full candy colored like mushroom woman is what she yeah. starts oh, to yeah. look like. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the worms that start to writhe oh, out of her yeah. pus spewing There's like, boils. And it's constant. They're starting to pile out of the bathtub. There's this one mm-hmm. shot where you see like a, a group of worms in the foreground and they're actually yeah. blurred because it's not in focus. And they just yeah. plop out of the bathtub and you hear like the slap and everything <laughs> of the ground. Hitting, it's just <laughs> disgusting. Well, and, and, and all those close-ups of like you know, there's like a little crack where the the you know they were spewing the the pus out of, and now there's like a worm trying to like move through it, but it, <laughs> yeah. it's such a tight little space that it can't do it. So he has to start Ugh. like pulling them out of her boils, yeah. like she's like giving birth to them. Or it, something. It, it, and it looks, looks like, like it, there's more worms than just like a certain type of like the ground worm that you see. Like at one point, I think even like a like a green almost thicker worm comes out of her and stuff like it's just it, it, it's oh, ever it's expanding worms, the yeah. disgusting there, there's maggots there are centipedes right um, yeah yeah uh and eventually yeah like things are like organs start coming out like what looks like a like a like a small intestine or something like plops out yeah it just keeps um, growing oh my god yeah, yeah. it, it, it really is it captures every grimy detail this oh like, yeah it's like all the all <laughs> yeah. the stains on the tub and the wet slopping like sound design the majority there's like a of the mucusy yeah. like viscosity to the effects that they're doing here yeah. and when her intestines fall out it's like they're being like like slurped out of her <laughs> <laughs> the movie is very um it actually reminds me quite a bit of uh what i like about uh city of the living dead and that feels very textured. Um, yeah. uh, even when it's not texture of gore, like when it's just close-ups of like her scales or something, or close-ups of the painting, it's kind of ironic and in some ways very sad that this had to be shot on video because it's clear that Hideshi Hino has an eye for the textures of surfaces. 
mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which doesn't really come across on video very well. But the the, the gore close ups don't feel like they're just there to shock you. Like, of course he yeah. he's you know he wants to gross you out, but it feels like like the painter he sees a kind of strange beauty in these makeup effects. Um, and if you're watching this movie like willingly and not in a dare or something, you probably also kind of see that too. Cause they're very handsomely done gore effects. Like, yeah, it, it, it reminded good, me yeah. of, uh, when, when we were talking about Fulci and how Fulci sees makeup artistry, you know, mm-hmm. as, as, as painting that, yeah, yeah what, what, what he, what he's showing you is this really horrible gore effect. And, you know, for a lot of people, they can't get past the idea that, oh, I'm watching a head being pulled yeah, off. Or yeah, something like that. Right. So that, that, that's just, it's just shock. That's all it is to yeah. people who can, you know, watch something that way. But to someone like Fulci, who was very into painting, he always saw it as, you know, um, I, was it the, where was that article from? It was, was it film comment? Perry, you might know this. There's a great film comment article on Fulci. Oh, about, where, about where, where, where uh, he, the, it's called like Fulci's Brush with Death or something. Yeah, uh, and, and it was, he, yeah, it was they, when they Mario Bava was that, playing like, at the MoMA. Yes, yes, and they they mentioned that like you know the the way that he would use. Um, you know, sort of like the depth of the makeup effect was mm-hmm. similar to the way that like Italian painters would actually do that. So like that's how he kind of viewed it. And I, and you do get a similar feeling here, although regretfully it, it is not, you know, uh, there's probably not going to be a 4K restoration of this. Like Just we imagine now. Fulci's other works. <laughs> Just imagine. <laughs> I, I could see like some, like if somehow Masker Video gets the rights or something and puts out some gorgeous 4k or who's doing um who's doing the men behind the sun 4k is that masker video it might be yeah whoever did that would probably have a taste for a a guinea pig 4k (laughs) (laughs) um yeah the, this would definitely be something because the the textures on it are are very very gross. Very and the way good. Too when because again she is kind of there's an interesting relationship happening here where obviously there's something really gross happening, um, but both of them character wise they both have the same mission which is that you need to capture what's happening here and preserve it through your art you have to mm-hmm. paint me in the moment before I die is yeah. what she says and then he starts to integrate you know, this sort of like bodily transformation that she's going under into the painting, obviously using literally her body and her pus and her blood to incorporate it into it. But then also like what's actually, what she actually looks like that he starts, you know, putting in the strokes, you know, the, her, her skin peeling, her eye popping out, the tumors like literally squirting, (laughs) you know, blood. And it's cutting between images of, you know, the paintings and, and, and her. And then obviously the paintings too, uh, that he used to draw of the beautiful river flowing and everything like that before, you know, he, his life became the rotting sewer in his filthy apartment. (laughs) I, I want to circle back around to something you said earlier about the idea of like, how he's literally cutting her and draining her for art. And that's something that Hideshi Hino, in like the works of his that I guess appeal to me the most, uh, keeps coming back to is the idea of the artist-muse relationship um, as Mm -hmm. inherently monstrous. Um, Kind of of destructive. Both of his guinea pig movies are about this. Both of his guinea pig movies, I don't think it's any... any, uh, coincidence or mistake or whatever that both of them are movies about like aloof male artists who find a beautiful woman to torture and maim and 
do unspeakable things to in order to make their art. A, like, it's very on the nose, but in a way that I think is very effective. Um, mm-hmm. because well, I was curious, is, 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 does the second one have a similar relationship to this or is it more of he literally tortures and, and, and kills? Cause I mean, technically that's what he's doing here a little bit, but there's something but to be said like here about, about there's, yeah, yeah, where, this one where, is more where loving, the mermaid but, is, is like, like she, she's asking him to do this well, for him. Again, anyways. the mermaid's not talking. He is hearing, he's right. thinking she's saying that, right? Yeah, and, and, and may, maybe that's a little more yeah. complicated as we get to the reveal Especially of the film because, yeah, well. there's a reveal yeah, yeah. that things are not <laughs> what they seem. He's an unreliable narrator. And the way I read it is she she may have wanted him to paint her at first, but <laughs> um, uh, the things he's doing are clearly driven by like his own psychosis. Um, yeah. yeah, and I want something again about the progression of the of the makeup effects um, into like this rotting, decaying body. And I think I think it's kind of cheap and kind of honestly kind of like racist when American critics are talking about like Japanese horror or Japanese body horror or something and come back to the idea of like nukes or Hiroshima or what have you. But I will say, because Hideshi Hino in um, Panorama of Hell, his his big manga opus, is about like a painter who's born like in the direct aftermath of uh, Hiroshima, which Hideshi Hino was. Uh, he was born in 1946. Um, the wow. way her body rots and like these like pustules and like this like just her skin falling off basically and the shots of like her hair falling out feels very like radiation poisoning like there's this book um a slow death uh 83 days of radiation sickness which is one of the most horrifying things i've ever read which is a non-fiction book about the uh tokaimura um uh nuclear plant um like the the reactor went critical and two guys working on it in 1999 got radiation poisoning and one of them was kept alive for 83 days while he was like falling apart and the book has photos of you know what what happens to him day by day like progression yeah and the the book is very much like a here's a doctor's here's the report what the doctor to keep him alive and what happened to his body and it's I mean you look at those photos of him and like they're it's a lot like the progression in this movie. And again, I feel uncomfortable making that assertion because again, it does feel very like that's the American view of contemporary mm-hmm. Japanese horror, what have you. But I, I don't think, I think you can make that argument that the parallels to like radiation poisoning and what's happening to this. Well, yeah. And, and, and the way, and the way that it progresses like this sort of like, in infection that is like disintegrating her body. Yeah, it literally very, melts you know, her body. Time. Like yeah, even yeah, the location yeah, like, that he found her, right? Like it, it started as this beautiful river and it's just yeah, decayed and now it's a sewer. sewer. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's there, there's definitely some sort of like you know perversion or or deformity that mm-hmm. has occurred, and it's it, you know it, it's something that he's kind of wrestling with. 
you know, the, the feelings of loss that come from that, but then also as an artist, like, you know, sort of like what, it, what it is, what do you do in that situation? Like, mm-hmm. what can you do other than, you know, uh, as you see it painted? Uh, yeah, and, and that's I, what I, happens in, um, the, the, the panorama of hell manga is it's this painter who sees these horrible things that happen to people and he's like, well, okay. I mean, I have to capture that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that very much well, feels like I, I, Hideshi Hino's uh, MO. Yeah, although I, I will say he definitely, uh, it, I, I think you are right that the the big sort of final things that occur in Mermaid in a Manhole definitely kind of uh, undermine some of his perspective yes. or make the unreliable <laughs> aspect of what we've been experiencing more yes. blatant as, you know, yeah, uh, eventually... <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, because eventually he does capture her in her final moments, and there is this sort of portrait canvas, you know, of of her, you know, deformed and and with the tumors, you know, all over her face and her eye half popping out and everything like that. Um, but eventually, you know, she, you know, she she just does die, and he hmm. he did capture her final moments, um, but you know, there with no time left to actually do anything to to help her. Uh, and so he does the same way that he's he's kind of letting go of her and he's kind of letting go of, you know, this sort of idyllic because I love how it's cross cutting with the, the river and everything, too. He's kind of letting go of all of it and being like, I'm in this new world now. <laughs> yeah. All of every, every everything, my previous dream of what that river was and everything, it has just died with this mermaid in yeah. this tub in my apartment. It's all gone. That previous time will never come back. So he makes the decision to really finalize that dramatically. Yes. Uh, by dismembering her with a butcher knife. Yeah, he takes a butcher knife. And blood spraying everywhere. Yeah, and, yeah, and the big reveal is when he cuts her open, uh, one, there seems to be a suspicious lack of mermaid parts. No big fishtail around there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, two... She's very not pregnant when she's a mermaid, but when he cuts her open, there is a fetus that he pulls out. Yeah. Uh, and his downstairs neighbor is like, what's all this ruckus? And they go upstairs and there's like this POV shaky shot with like this pounding synth. And my, my drunk friend who I was watching it with compared that moment to heat, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> Like when they're going to to get Wangro, um, yeah, they, <laughs> this is where they, Michael Mann got it from for sure. Yeah, absolutely, they open <laughs> the the door and they see there is no mermaid, but there is a woman, and there is uh, the guy with the butcher knife chopping now just the wood on the floor with his eyes rolled back, looking at the ceiling, being like, "My mermaid's gone, my mermaid's gone." He gets arrested, and what we learn through dialogue is that his like mysterious missing wife wasn't so dead or gone after all until now because he she was the body they found and she was kept in his apartment and tortured and murdered basically yeah um, yeah and, and and also it was it was implied that she was bedridden yes. in the apartment with, with because cancer she was suffering with cancer yeah yes. which is you know probably where a lot of the uh, well, definitely where a lot pregnant. of the tumor imagery comes from yeah and eight months pregnant which yeah. Of course. <laughs> uh, and, of course, so the big stinger at the end is there. you get this, like, final autopsy report and this, like, really pretty shot that reminds me of um, one of the first shots in, like, Neroy, where it's just, like, the tape down on a spotlight. 
Um, and it's this spotlight down. Here's all the stuff we recovered. Here's the murder weapons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And here is a single scale from a fish no one can identify. <laughs> oh man, that little yeah. bit of ambiguity. Yeah, a little bit of ambiguity because yeah. it, it could be, of course, from like maybe the weird mutant fish this guy is feeding to the woman. But <laughs> it's probably more likely that there is some that the woman is both at once the mermaid and the wife. Is how I read it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like she's she's both. It, it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't have to. She's both. <laughs> That's the only way it can you can square the circle. Yeah, I also definitely. I also really. Um, I mean, it's 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 gross, but I like the way they they use it. I believe in the beginning, he, it shows him painting like a floating, like a baby in floating water, floating in water, which I assume also represents like the. Uh, just, just the the sewer itself, and you know the the filth and all of that. And then they they have that shot when the the neighbors come into the apartment, and you see the baby just sit like laying there on the on the floor. And so you kind of get in the this, pile of dismembered body parts. Yeah. And that, that wide shot when they walk in, and it's oh, like a yeah. slow zoom out of just revealing all of the body parts. Great and shot. Just like, yeah, yeah, it's so good. And you start to realize too that that. They were kind of. He was kind of giving you these these images that were hinting towards the uh, the ending a little bit and making that connection mm-hmm. when it finally is revealed. It's just an, an ad, another added layer of like disgust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, it well, seems yeah, like it was in his when, head. When, the when whole he finds time. that feet, when when you see that fetus in the sewer, because then you wonder, right. Is this yeah. sort of some sort of anxiety about his upcoming fatherhood, right, like a race <laughs> yeah. of some sort, or that's what? Yeah, well, it, yeah. It's like, is the sewer? like some chthonic mental underworld, you know, where yeah. he goes and it, he doesn't literally go there, but it's a, it's like a visual metaphor for him accessing like the, the darkness in his mind that was yeah. once, you know, the river. And that is also the only way to, I feel like an asshole trying to logically explain the events, of this movie, but that is the only way to kind of also square the circle of like, how is it a river and now it's a sewer? It's well, yeah, it's not, they're not physical places. They're representations of his headspace. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely this more idyllic past and this sort of like uh, really filthy transformation that it's gone under and sort of like his acceptance that there is no going back to that, that he is just going to join the filth in his own way. Yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons um, why I picked both these movies is this ambiguity they have in the sense of the idea of the images in them as very representational rather than literal of horror um, reminds me a lot of like my favorite kind of horror fiction, which is very rare to find on film. And that is, again, a horror where it doesn't necessarily expect you or need you or even work best when you view every image in it literally. And that's not to say that has to have some grand metaphor behind it, but the idea of images in horror and supernatural happenings that aren't like, oh, there's literally something supernatural happening in it, but just this is some weird psychological outgrowth. Um, like right. it, it's and, and, how, and, 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 and then also it not being the, you know, Oh, it's, you know, it's just a dream. Exactly. Like it's yeah. not that either. It's, it's a, it's, it's a combination of all of this stuff is representative of something that really matters to this person mm-hmm. that you yeah. are experiencing, you yeah. know, their experiences with them. 
Yeah, in um, a way it reminds me of, like, when people talk about, like, Lovecraftian stuff, they usually mean, you know, cosmic horror with old gods and stuff. But in a way it reminds me of that strain of supernatural fiction, you know, weird fiction, what have you. Uh, like Lovecraft or, or, or Poe or, you know, uh, Arthur Mackin or someone. Or even the the guys I go to when I think of these two movies are like Borges or Kafka or like Thomas Ligotti, where they're very much, they're entirely psychological realities. They're not a cult horror per se. It's not like there's demon-worshipping cults or something. But there is some demonic or evil aspect of reality. Definitely. Well, maybe <laughs> pivoting towards a uh, reductive rating round on Guinea Pig 6, Mermaid in a Manhole. I love saying that title. Yeah, it's fun. It's just, it's very good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think this is a, this was a very solid to maybe even a high four um, from from me which again going into you know what so many people talked about is kind of like a like a gross out extreme gore uh exercise you know it's like 60 minutes uh you know i was i i will say i was not expecting so many sort of you know ideas about you know as perry brought up the idea of sort of like an artist using a, a muse and reducing you know a real tangible person into a piece of art or the idea of channeling you know, pain and the transforming, deforming nature of, of, of time into your art. And, you know, this is surprisingly very um, character-driven, uh, psychological, and kind of melancholy film um, that I kind of wrote up briefly when I was writing my review of it, that it was, you know, it's, it's very much uh, this idea of, art as a colorful reflection of your dreams and the people around you and, you know, your surroundings. And that sounds like a really nice movie until, you know, your surroundings <laughs> are a sewer filled Sewage. with fetuses yeah. Yeah. And, and, and filth. And, you know, the person you love is this uh, cancerous infected mermaid covered in pus filled tumors. That's ever and, uh, Yeah. And, and ultimately your dream is to, uh, in your way, uh, join them or put them out of their out of their misery by very violently uh, dismembering them, getting some sort of closure on this, you know, past life, beautiful idyllic river that will never come back to you, and just joining uh, the disgusting sewer. Yeah, uh, and 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 taking your wife and unborn child with you, uh, perhaps. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, <laughs> good, good uh, vibes only. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. I'm also gonna give it a four out of five. Uh, something I wanted to ask uh, you, Perry, was just mm -hmm. this is the first time I watched it, so so kind of having that uh, that's th th those same delusions that the artist has while you're watching mm -hmm. it. You can kind of get on board almost more so with what is going on, but knowing that it ends up being just him hacking his pregnant wife in his apartment for 24 hours. Does it like the second watch? Does does that affect you at all? Yes, like, okay. it's How uncomfortable. How does that affect you? Okay, see, I was uh, curious be, because you become more cognizant of things like the fact that she never actually speaks. Right, <laughs> like yeah. yeah, things you kind of take for granted on the first watch, and Absolutely. like the inconsistencies. Um, a lot of the stuff with like the downstairs neighbors, which I thought was kind of annoying the first time around, mm -hmm. I really like on rewatch because they are these like 
very incongruous elements. They're kind of like goofy comedy neighbors. But by introducing yeah. them, it does throw the nature of real the reality of the film into question. Because like, wait, this yeah. is what normal stuff is. Yeah, <laughs> this is like yeah, exactly. <laughs> th- th- it's a very different POV and tone with th- with them because they're all lit like boring. They're all yeah, lit it's like, just, a, yeah, like a yeah yeah. Uh, y- I don't know. I-, I think it's a very it's very clever and it's a very controlled movie in a way that you know most people wouldn't give this kind of thing credit for. Yeah, for sure. We will hear. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, well, <laughs> it's a, definitely a, a four out of five for me. I mean, even, and just, you know, not necessarily even speaking about the the narrative, but just the way he shoots the gore. Like, once again, I mentioned the, the, the absolute, like, labyrinth of clusters of, like, tumors and the blood and pus just running through them. Uh, and he's constantly doing close-ups of that. And then just, like, wide shots of her in the bathtub while the, the, the clusters are like spurting out blood like a fountain you know just just it's one of the grossest things i've ever seen but in a way still oddly like you're right it's like oddly beautiful the way that it's lit and the way that it's shot so um until until the ending you know you you can kind of (laughs) understand the the his mentality a little bit uh I'm curious as to what I'll feel like on a second watch, uh, but it's um, it, it's very interesting. So so yeah, I'd, I'd give it a four for now. I was also very happy to learn that the guy who plays the artist, uh, Shiguru Seki, uh, he is also the Toastmaster in Takashi Miike's audition. Oh, nice. Oh, That's awesome. Right. Something that we should mention, I can't believe I forgot. The woman who plays the mermaid, Mari Somme, appeared in some pink films, appeared in this... And after this, mysteriously disappeared, and no one knows what happened to her. Whoa! What? Yeah, yeah. She just she <laughs> vanished. Yeah, this like, is she's, a snuff. She's gone. <laughs> yeah, That's she, crazy. She's, okay. she's gone. Okay, yeah. this is okay. Now, now we're getting into sus territory. Yeah, yeah. we don't we need know. To, we need to check up on Hideshi. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Real. She, she's she. Yeah, she just dropped off the face of the earth. That's like oh she was di- she was dismembered on camera as a mermaid. That's like that conspiracy and, where uh, all the uh, Giallo films are like all the actresses they can't find anymore, so they must have actually killed right. Them yeah, they must Giallo have. Movies. Yeah, Argento was being paid by the right. mob or something to off someone for real. <laughs> but he made Which art is, with it. Yeah. <laughs> Good this Lord. is this is uh, Sleazoid's after dark territory. <laughs> yes, of our, we've been, uh, yeah. Discord patrons. We're at it. Now they, we're they on like the like to show. solve conspiracies after midnight. <laughs> discord yeah. so perry has just sent them on a rabbit hole i hope that That's the right. after dark listeners are looking into this as we speak. yes boys solve the case we can do it yeah good lord um, that's crazy uh yeah well well yeah. on that on that note i feel kind of bad for now saying yeah this is a five <laughs> uh, uh this is one of my favorite horror films um and films like this are the reason like I, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass or anything when I say like this kind of movie and being able to talk about this kind of movie is the reason why I, I think this podcast is like incredible because these are the kinds of movies again that are completely written off like yeah. not even like Arrow Video isn't coming around to give this one a second shot right but when you look in the filth of movies if like if you're the artist in this and you spend time in the sewers you can find strange beauty and in the filth Mm-hmm. And that's why I love talking about this and why I love bringing on, like, uh, Midori is because they are, when you meet this kind of thing on its own terms, 
you'll find something that's unlike anything else. You know, there's no movie like Mermaid in a Manhole. <laughs> I, I've seen I've seen a I ton of other that. movies in this genre too, and there is nothing remotely like this. Uh, yeah. And it's just this fascinating anomaly of cinema, you know? It's a movie that got made for a series based on fake snuff films, but instead it became like this psychological, magical, realist, romantic drama, character study, gore film. Like, it's yeah. it's incredible. Um, about, about, about the... the, the <laughs> Maybe even parts of the ethics of yes, doing, of making you know, this kind of art. Yeah, <laughs> and even besides like the novelty of it and the boldness of it, it is just this incredibly tight constructed film. Like Hideshi Hino clearly has a vision as a director, and it it breaks my heart every day that he only made these two movies because yeah, he's a very talented mangaka. But honestly, I prefer him as a filmmaker. Yeah, I would have liked to Damn. see more from him as well. I was surprised to only see that he had two films. Well, but I'm hey, I'm going out and checking out Guinea Pig Two at some point. Oh too. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I noticed though that some of his uh, some of his work has been adapted though, right? Yes, some of his work has been adapted for TV movies. Some of those are actually okay. quite good. Um, oh, cool. Okay, which is the one? Yeah, uh, the Boy from Hell by Mar- Mary Asato, who's a, uh, a female filmmaker who directed the adaptation of the game Fatal Frame, <clears throat> mm. and she directed uh, one of the Juan movies too. That movie's crazy. The Boy from Hell is really worth watching. Cool. Cool. Watch, watch this, this down right now. Was that 2004 or 1988? 2004. Gotcha. Very 2004. Very fucked up digital vibes. <laughs> cool. Very, very <laughs> cursed movie energy. Beautiful. Nice. That will that will th- shoot it up the list of, of watching for sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. And fifty minutes. Um, all right. Well, I think Love that's that. gonna I think that's gonna wrap it up for everything this week. That was the hat the house with the laughing windows and guinea pig six mermaid in a manhole. Thanks, Perry, so much for for joining us and yeah. coming back and for once again uh, traumatizing many of our listeners. <laughs> I'm sure. Hell yeah. Um, oh, wonderful. Well, listen, it's both both bo- bo- both the ones who eventually check out the things that we're talking about and just the ones who don't. You know, like to listen to podcasts that talk about uh, uh, pus spewing <laughs> boils. Hey, well, um, I mean, that's... And taking listen, a fetus li- li- out of a stomach li- and all that. Listening to a show <laughs> called Sleezoids is an occupational hazard. Exactly. Yeah. They know what they signed up for. They yeah. know what they signed up for. <laughs> um, but Perry, what's going on in Perry world? You know, uh, what, uh, what, you got anything to plug while you're yeah, here? Yeah, well, last time I was on the show, I talked about a little movie I made called Sungazer that was hopefully going to be hitting up film festivals. Uh, then film festivals died. So <laughs> yeah. um, I just put out on Vimeo. Uh, you can watch rip, Sungazer rip to a on real Vimeo. Uh, although I, I will say... Uh, probably a solid chunk of you listening have checked it out, and thank you very, very much. Um, yeah, it's very good. Besides that, I've been doing a lot of fiction writing. If you like the kind of horror I've been describing about, like, a psychological unreality without a supernatural, but not, like, you know, overt supernatural, uh, I've basically spent the past 12 months just writing a bunch of that. Um, I got some... Keep, keep looking at my Twitter, because I'll be discussing whenever I have short stories coming out. Um, I have a poem, like an erotic, grotesque poem, upcoming in an anthology collection called The Big Book of Little Deaths. I have a short story in a book I edited uh, called Beyond the Book of Avon, which is a collection of short fiction in tribute to one Lucio Fulci, uh, that by the time this 
episode comes out, it might be sold out because it's a limited run, but I would check just in case. And yeah, we've we've we plugged that one in the Discord, telling people to get in on it just so that it doesn't sell out. Because uh, obviously, we helped uh, get get that kick started because it sounded amazing, and there was a lot of people who uh, have either have either guested on the show or are patrons of the show who also wrote stories. Like I know that Mike Thorne wrote a yeah, story. Yeah, Mike Thorne wrote a story. And, uh, yeah. Kai uh, Kai Perignon is one of Kai like Perignon wrote um, a story. Trevor oh, Henderson yeah. did the uh, did the cover art, which is this gorgeous. Gorgeous, yeah. sacrilegious painting of like a crucified <laughs> zombie. Um, so many, many friends of the show uh, have stories and, and or or have helped put this together. So I'm very excited to get my hands yeah, on that one. That comes out. Obviously, also Fulci. We need more Fulci in the world. Yes, we, we do, do always. Yeah. And, and two more things to kind of announce officially here, I guess. Oh, uh, I have a story I wrote that is kind of an homage to Suhiro Maru, who wrote the manga that Midori is based on that I am looking to release as part of a zine with another like tribute short story from another writer who will go nameless right now because we have not confirmed it 100%. And I am working on a zine of film criticism that is going to be based on depictions of the ocean in movies, uh, okay. where I will be talking about like Zombie 2, Miami Vice, Jean Painlave, Night Tide, Takesh Kitano, uh, it came yeah, from I was going to say, you got to get Kitano in there. Yeah, uh, the I've just been going Luna through Clipper, all of his stuff, and he's, uh, he's, got, he's got as many, if not more, oceans than Michael Mann. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the, <laughs> there's, a section, there's a section I have planned that is mostly focused on the differences, well, not mostly, largely focused on the differences in texture of the beach in Okinawa and California in Brother Insomnitine. So, fun stuff like that. Uh, if you want to read about how the ocean is something evil and destructive, then <laughs> keep an eye out for unnamed ocean cinema zine. This is this is awesome. character assassination of the ocean. That's right. Listen, the we're, ocean we're taking it down. No, the ocean is scary. <laughs> the ocean is evil. Like low key. No, the the ocean's a bad place. Absolutely. That that awesome. man was genuinely not meant to go there. It's evil. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I'm not doing a bit. Awesome. <laughs> I would uh, genuinely recommend checking out everything that that uh, that Perry named there for sure. Oh, yeah. uh, for our listeners, we're going to be back in one week's time, uh, where we are going to be uh, celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Oh on yeah. The Sleezoids, <laughs> on the Sleezoids network, we're gonna we're going Irish mode. We're talking about Irish excellence. <laughs> we're going to be talking about Leprechaun, Leprechaun Two. Right. And Leprechaun 3, the direct-to-video <laughs> sequel to Leprechaun 1 and 2. Uh, so for the Patreon listeners, uh, feel free to go trash mode with us. We're going to be talking oh, yeah. about uh, not even mode. a C-tier slasher franchise, probably a D-tier <laughs> slasher franchise that uh, doesn't even seem that people really even care too much for the first one. No. Um, people seem to, <laughs> like, even if you like it, like, I, I don't mind the, the second one, but it's still one of those things that I know is complete and total trash like it's just i don't think anyone like unironically likes these movies <laughs> i don't know maybe but i'm wrong we're, but. we'll find out yeah maybe we'll get people yelling at us about the i look forward to and it. how they how they are um very important pieces of american irish heritage <laughs> well i mean obviously i mean you're already going all in in the anti-irish racism so it only makes sense that you would <laughs> fucking hate the leprechaun movies that's right that's right 
so that's what you guys can expect on your bonus episode for next week. Warwick Davis uh, telling nursery rhymes and uh, murdering people. various people. And then uh, the week after, we're going to be having, uh, finally, special guest Eddie Averill from the Extended Clip podcast on the show to bring his double feature that he uh, basically, like, suggested, like, over a year ago now. He's I think he's mad at us. I think he's been asking to do this for a while. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about Targets. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, by Peter Bogdanovich, as well as Brian De Palma's Hi Mom. Very awesome. So we are going to be talking about uh, sort of like late 60s uh, American radical, really dark, uh, darkly Very even dark. funny um, uh, kind of films. Uh, by, uh, by having Eddie on, are you weighing in in the extended clip versus Blank Check Feud? I actually I actually guested on uh, their uh, Patreon exclusive show uh, Bank Check. <laughs> so I think I, I think I so already have. Uh, well, but, but you're but you're having. Oh, well, wait, is Bank Check a blank check spinoff or is that an extended clip thing? That That's an extended. Oh, clip OK, thing. OK, OK. Then you definitely have <laughs> already weighed that. in. Ab- absolutely no we we stand with our boys at extended clip oh yeah um, Fight to the, 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 the the sickos at blank check will not take our boys down they will not absolutely not you bomb them um our our boys are standing tall they're yeah. gonna come on the show and they're i mean eddie's bringing towering films targets and hi mom yeah very excited to talk about yeah, uh, those with him in uh two weeks time that's gonna be your guys's free episode targets is definitely yeah. a movie about eddie and griffin <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up all right i think that's gonna wrap it up for everything this week thanks so much uh everyone uh, as always for listening and keep it sleazy keep it sleazy see ya